Kings of Friends podcast. <laughs> this is always weird when we start it off. I was going to say live from Leavenheath. <laughs> live from Leavenheath. Welcome to the mic, Little <laughs> Kings and Friends. This is a local scene show. Keep it local, keep it local. Just like a neighborly cat. Keep it local, keep it local. But don't you dare touch me with that. Keep it local. Season 2, episode of 10, which, let me tell you, yeah. means that we're 83% the way through season 2, with only 17% left. Jesus, out of 12 this, isn't it? Yeah. If, it's, if it, we thought of this as a meal, we'd probably we'd be on a dessert by now. Yeah, we'd be just into the dessert, depending on the size of the meal, or the main... If we're on a train journey, we'd be sort of getting antsy, thinking, <laughs> shall I get my case because you left it over the other yeah. side ready now yeah because I could get trapped behind somebody and not get off the train at the station everyone's standing up yeah do not stand up until the train has come to a halt please yeah but no one abides by that do they that's the stage that we'd be at that's what's weird on a plane isn't it is that when when the plane is like moving along people are like desk, like that you can get out any quicker like you go <laughs> no. oh no just throw yourself on the tarmac fine yeah yeah no we'll, we'll open the door on the way <laughs> I know it always makes me laugh when I see the um, when you get on an airplane they've got the priority seating oh, you can get on the plane longer you can sit on the plane longer <laughs> by getting in first what the <laughs> What's that about? It's weird, isn't it? This yeah. is the word priority. Pay to sit on a plane for a longer time. No, but it's just priority, isn't it? It's yeah. the word priority. Yeah. Pay a fiver and get a smile or something, you know, whatever, you know, or one of those rolls that we ate. I mean, I you may have heard before we've had the old chocolate mansion going on during the podcast. They've been mentioned before. If you're yeah. one of our regular listeners, you will have noticed us. You will, but you won't know the origin of this, which is uh, that when I come oh, yeah. up uh, to um, record with Justin in the studio uh, in Leavenheath, um, basically um, I bring with me uh, two cans of fizzy pop, I can only call it that pop, and uh, two chocolate items. This time it was a bit of a disaster, because normally you go for something, you know, Yorkie Crunchy, something you know. This time, I don't know, something from the Netherlands called Spongies. Yes, Spongies. <laughs> I think it's called sponges. Yeah, you like sponges? Yeah. Uh, no, they're not very nice, actually. Not enough cream. I mean, on the on the packet, it looked like it was absolutely, you know, rammed full of hardly any cream. No. no. Okay, so um, this on. is a... Local scene show. Local scene show, thank yes, you. Yes, it is. We, we're getting the hang of this now. Who have we got on the local scene show? We have got three people on the local scene mm. show this All time. boys. All boys, yeah. All boys. Fraser Morgan. Yes. But tell me more. Tell me more about Fraser Morgan. No, tell me more about the people. (laughs) Oh, okay. Tell me more people. I just mean list them. Okay. Just people on the show? Yeah, just people in general. (laughs) Yeah. Frank Dewberry. Anyone. No, don't start No, no, no. That's That's season one. That's gone. That's gone. Let it lie. Shall we pause it there? We have Fraser Morgan. Hmm. AJ Jones. Hmm. And A.D. Johnson. A.D. Johnson. So, yes, that, that sounds pretty exciting. Got one promoter there, A.J. Jones, um, of uh, Three Wise Monkeys fame and Black Hector Studio. And Fraser and A.D. both acoustic troubadours. Yes. I don't know if we use that word over here, troubadour, Do but yeah. I think they used it in the 60s a lot. Yes. Yes, they did. Guitar on my back, I'm walking down the highway. <laughs> 
I left my shoes. Like that. So, so Fraser Morgan, when were you first aware of Fraser Morgan? Fraser Morgan, I remember when he was a lot younger, actually. Oh, did When he used to frequent the open mics. Yeah, he must have been... I'm sort of guessing at his age here. I'm not actually going to say it out loud in my head, but I'm thinking he must have been about 18... Something yeah. like that, maybe. I saw some the... pictures when I was sort of researching before mm. the interview, and I thought, "Oh, that was you." Yeah, I know what you mean. Because yeah, he had short hair, and yeah, yeah. But he's been playing open mics for years. Yeah, over well, eight hundred gigs to date. I know. Well, that was one of the questions I asked him. Actually, I asked him whether he yeah. had like done a certain amount of gigs and then thought oh actually it'd be a good idea to count them and then had to work them yes. out because if I thought yeah. if I actually had to do that now I'm not sure if I could well luckily I could do it for you myself do because I, I always every time I play although not so much recently but every time I play I've always logged it Oh, right. um, and um, so you can sort of see you get to oh we've we've done 20 gigs or something it's always like a sort of landmark but Fraser 800, 800. I remember the Rolling Stones a few years back saying oh we did a thousand gigs or something at some point you know a thousand yeah. it's like that's nothing nothing Fraser Morgan's going to be sort of like he'll be into sort of five figures at one point won't he <laughs> <laughs> more more gigs than there are days in his life. Uh, yeah, actually, if I try to work it out for me, I mean, mm. if I find an old poster or something from bands I was in yeah. from my twenties or thirties, oh my God, I'm old. But anyway, <laughs> if I find about, I think I mean, I played from Walthamstow, or yes. really, it's like yeah. I can't even remember going to Walthamstow, but, uh, <laughs> but apparently Must I played a good gig. gig. Yeah, apparently I played a gig there. And, <laughs> yeah, and I thought hmm, I didn't yeah. realise I played so many times in London. Looking back, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was strange. Yeah. but uh, yeah but he obviously decided it wasn't too far into it for him before he decided he would start counting them so tell uh, me about location just, where did you go we met in Dyson the Slice Dyson Slice is it Dyson Slice yeah, it is Dyson Slice yes. no I said Dyson the game the, slice. the gaming sort of place. the gaming cafe yeah, board game cafe yes but it was quite noisy in there so we sort of yeah. went off to a little bit to the side don't you find this though because when I when I um when I met with Aidy Johnson at the brew house it was um, it was paranoid was playing in the background and there was someone setting up something on the stage and I thought I just said as soon as he walked in I said we won't be able to do it in here and it wasn't that loud but I thought oh you're here all all the listeners will be hearing is the, what's in the background going oh right that's, a, that's brown sugar by the Rolling Stones you know it would be this kind of thing I said we can't stay here <laughs> so yeah you have to get your location tell you what though AJ Jones the best location ever Incredible! Yeah. It was in a basically a soundproof room, <laughs> sitting well, on two buckets. <laughs> You'll well, love the, it. Fraser Fraser Morgan was. Uh, it was good. It was, it was quiet. We found something quiet to do it. But when I listened back to it afterwards, I thought it sounds like we were interviewing in a cave. It was so quiet. <laughs> We'd locked all the sound out, but yeah. it wasn't a soundproof room like you yeah. had with AJ. So um, you were sort of beckoning me along the beach, going, "Come on, come with me. Where are we going? To my cave." Yep. Where I interview people, yes. but hopefully the tide's out. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that's exactly course, what yes. happened. Yeah, it was a good interview. Um, yeah, he's a really nice guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. He, he's really hoping to um, take things to the next level this year. Mm. I've sort of asked him what that meant for him. You know, mm. well, it's uh, different things for different people. But what we do know, different people. What we do know is when we interviewed Paul Dupree, he said we need more people like Fraser. 
Yes, he did say that. People who embrace the scene and want it to do well and are yeah. willing to join up with people and promote it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things he did say. He said, mm. yeah, he wants to make it better for everybody. He's not. Um, yeah. It's not about a competition. He wants it to be good, yeah. good for all of us. Shall we hear from this acoustic geisha? Yeah. Often hear from Litter of Kings and Friends with Fraser Morgan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, Fraser, I've got to ask you, you are 800 plus gigs. I've got 800 plus. How many is it now? 813. <laughs> so I have to ask, did you start counting them from the start? Or at some point did you think, I want to start counting these and then go back and have to work out what number you were at? Yeah, the latter. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what number was it when you first started working it out? I was only at like 20, 30. Oh, okay. It wasn't a huge amount because essentially I started gigging when I was around 17. Uh, um, no, 16. Um, I played my first gig when I was 16, and was it? No, I was 15. It was my, I played my first actual gig when I was 15, and then that was an open mic in my hometown in Braintree at a pub called The Swan. And then um, about a couple of years down the line, I didn't really gig too much, um, <clears throat> about two, three years on. Um, and then my friend mentioned about counting gigs and stuff because someone they liked, Frank Turney, said he did it. And I was like, that's actually a really cool idea. And I was like, I didn't expect it to go anywhere because I wanted yeah. to be a banker. <laughs> so I didn't really wow. think I was actually going to end up <laughs> getting to 100. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm now at 813. And it's just like, I think in my head, it's just a running joke for me. I'm like, right. how am I still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> You've released Home Is Where The Heart Is yeah. and posted, it's scary releasing music for, for the first time in over two years. Mm. Why, why was there a break there? Was that really, was that really two years? I mean, you didn't really yeah, it was, um, uh, to give you, I, I kind of I give a, a backstory of yeah. an answer so that you can kind of get like um, perspective on it and like a bit of understanding. So <clears throat> I moved to London when I was 19 and I was gigging a bit there. My mental health went plummeted was awful um, whilst I was studying a songwriting degree which was a waste of time and I just paid 60 grand to say that I could rhyme brilliant um, good one um, but yeah and so I was doing that and my mental health went really really bad um, and I kind of I started to overcomplicate my music and I started buying loads of random pedals and, uh, and then I kind of, yeah, I just overdid it in my head. And then for the following two years, I was kind of falling in and out of love with it. I was writing, but not as much. And I wasn't performing as much as I was. I think it was just a mental health thing and what I was going through at the time. And I kind of started to sort my mental health out. Started to get myself into a really good place. And I started writing songs that I really liked. And I was like, you know what? Because then I stripped it back to basics. I was like, you know who you are. You know what you like. Get away. Get rid of all those pedals and all that bollocks, you know, and just do what you know. Because someone yeah. said to me once, just write what you know and do what you know. Yeah. Because that's all you can do and write about. And so that's what I started doing. And in February 2020, I was like, I'm going to release a song, Inebriation, here we go. I'm going to, you know what, I was like, I'm going to start trying to get a band together, um, <clears throat> this, that and the other. I was kind of, I was meant to be going traveling with my partner at the time. Um, but I was, you know, I was really playing with the idea of like getting a band together and just to start my, just start releasing music. And then, <laughs> boys and girls, let me tell you the story of the pandemic. <laughs> so, so that, the panoramic, yeah, is like, yeah, as yeah. I like to say, happened. And it just not be of course for two years. Yeah. And so, but during that time, I was actually, I was quite musically active. I was still writing a lot. Um, 
and I was actually kind of writing and playing more than I had ever done. And I think on reflection, that's kind of for two reasons. Is the big one, first of all, is that I got my mental health into a really, really solid place. A lot of people's mental health went downhill during the yeah. pandemic. Mine went the opposite direction. Mm. Um, I really, I didn't enjoy the whole concept of the pandemic itself is awful, but I loved the time off. Well, I, because I, that was one of the best summers of my life yeah. because I was out on my bike cycling doing my 5k in the sun like I was reading books no one expected anything of you yeah, yeah. right for, yeah. for a few months no one expected <laughs> anything of you you were just allowed to be again yeah. and it was phenomenal that part anyway and so but I've always been a man of mental health and, and therapy and I had a couple of breakthroughs in the previous two years but during the summer of 2020 I had one of the biggest breakthroughs of my life where I realised how I was trying to control the external world to try and fix the internal world a lot and my, I had a massive breakthrough with my therapist and that night I cried the hardest I've ever cried in my entire life and I remember being on the phone to the same partner at the time that I referred to earlier and I was just boiling my eyes out and it was a deep thing within myself and it just, I don't know, the next morning I woke up a completely different person and like ever since then, like the way I've looked at things and everything, I've just like, I don't know, it's completely shifted my reality and the way I perceive life and things and I'm so much happier because of that and with that happiness, I then started to really kind of deep dive within myself and my music took a turn and all of a sudden I wasn't writing about like love and relationships and stuff or any of those sorts of things. I started to then, as I said, write what you know and I started to write about my mental health and my journey through mental health and, and these feelings of, of mental health. I remember the kind of the first mental healthy, if you will, song that I wrote was I was sat in, um, in because I ended up moving to Ireland during the pandemic because my partner at the time was Irish and I've always wanted to live there and I was like, my family from Ireland as well, let's give it a swing, awesome place, incredible people. And I was sat in the room at the time because it was very clear that my relationship at the time was on its knees and was falling to pieces. Um, and I think that was for the best, um, but I digress. And I was sat in the spare in the room that I'd moved into and I just started to write this little riff and it was called Not Looking Back and it was about um, how I used to really suffer with guilt and shame and stuff and it still shows its face every now and then, but more or less I'm familiar with it and so I know its triggers and how to, uh, to navigate my way through it. And that was the first time I'd written about the mental health song and then Fast forward a year or two, all of a sudden I'm gigging loads and I've written a couple of songs, like Home is Where the Heart is, I wrote during the first wave of the pandemic when I was sat in my friend's garden. It's actually three years today that I wrote it, wow. which is really interesting because <laughs> it came up, on my, came up on my Facebook today. Because um, I wrote the song when my university asked me, they said to put a competition, write a song about the word home. So I wrote a song called Home is Where the Heart is and I submitted it and they must have loved it so much because they didn't reply. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that was a two year break. That was a very long way of going around to say, yeah, yeah. To, but I like to give a kind of backstory yeah. as, as do I. So yeah, that's what, that's what the two year break was. And wow. I'm so happy I did have that. Uh, so this year, it seems like you're really going for it with the music. Yeah. Uh, you said you want to take things to the next stage. What, what does that mean for you? Doing bigger shows and doing kind of more shows, um, which is um, something that I, I, I will always do most shows that are thrown at me, 99%, unless they are just physically not viable or I literally can't get there in time. Um, I'll always do every show that's thrown at me. But I mean as in slowly pushing it towards more of a direction of, um, rather than just you know playing this like little random like 10 20 person event which i absolutely love and i will never stop loving because it's the fact of playing not who's there as such all the time um but in regards to maybe 
a band reaching out and saying, hey, um, we're touring in this area, would you like to support us? You know, and start jumping on those kind of bigger support slots or um, <clears throat> having some more contacts so that I can do, yeah, as I said, the, the bigger gigs and, and more stuff because that's, that's kind of what I would benefit from the most. And I think in reference to the post was um, me looking for a booking agent and or my manager mm-hmm. and... <clears throat> I don't necessarily need to be managed myself because I think I manage myself and the other four quite well um, in the band. Um, yeah, I just need someone to be able to help me shake hands with people and introduce me to the right people. But yeah, that's what I mean by just bigger gigs. Well, it seems to be working. You, you played a, a pretty big gig the other night, didn't you, this weekend? Didn't you? On Saturday night, yeah. I My friend messaged me and said, yeah, we've got um, the men they couldn't hang playing on Saturday at Dingwalls. Do you want to support? It's a 600 capacity show. And I went, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And it was one of the weirdest experiences ever because we used to kind of play with people who kind of know us-ish or like heard of us or anything. And so we've seen people start coming in and we're on and they didn't say online there was a support app. We were like, oh, okay, that's cool. They think doors are open at 7.30. That's, that, they probably think the band will come on at half eight. So that plays in our favour. And so... It was just myself and Soph, my singer, at this, at this one. And uh, we were singing and playing, we said, I'll see about 50 to 100 people. I'm like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Nice one. So we're acting the box and being ourselves on the stage and messing around. And I think I, I didn't have my guitar tuned with me, so I've had to kneel down and start tuning my guitar. And I've seen a couple of people and I've stood up and I've gone, oh, Dan, can you put the lights on? I want to see how many he's there. And the lights come on and you can use your pop and pan sounds because I've been, holy f- shit, there's a, there's a lot of you. <laughs> I looked up and it's just this entire sea of people who have never seen me before and I've never seen them and I was like, wow, that's an incredible feeling. And I was like, look, I know none of you are here for me. <laughs> I was like, but thank you for being here regardless and for listening. Like, it means a lot. Can I get a video? Because, like, it was just surreal. It was just, it was insane for me. And so, yeah, more of that <laughs> would, would, be, would be phenomenal. Um, but I just... Gigs. I just love playing them. I just yeah. love them. They're, they're my, yeah, everything. Mental health. It's Ooh. well documented that you, you talk about that and breaking the stigma surrounding it. As a songwriter, you can kind of go two ways. You could go down there singing about the gloom, and, mm. or you could go the other way and sort of up, more upbeat. And your mm-hmm. music seems to be more upbeat. Yes. Was that a conscious decision, or did it, as you said before, you're just feeling this just take you in that, in that direction? I think, what did we say? You're the Motsuri Kodoshin? It's no, it's never a conscious decision to be like, I'm gonna write about this really sad thing but dress it up in happiness. Yeah, yeah. It's I think when I when I do songwrite and if the song is showing signs of talking about mental health, I always come from it come at it from a direction of w- wanting to inform and educate the person who's listening. And essentially democratise. So when I write about songs or I talk about mental health, I'm not even trying to break the stigma. That's not in that's not in my peripheral. That's not my aim. If that happens, phenomenal. But my aim is to actually democratise the language around mental health and take down these smokes and mirrors and all these scary things and be like, no, 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 no. This is just what it is. And uh, and yeah, yeah, making it accessible to all because I don't like to gatekeep information. Uh, and knowledge around things. Tell us a little bit about Sad Buds before we go. Yeah, Sad Buds. So the Sad Buds Records was, is a, a thing that was born by accident, just like me. 
okay. I, um, I moved back from Ireland and I met up with Dan Warburton and he said, do you want to play this gig in Coda? And I was like, yeah, okay. And he carried it and we kept it. He, he'd drunkenly asked Coda if they could to put in a gig called Sad Boys. So I played it. And then Dan speaks to me, I put more gigs on. Then I changed, I said we should change it to Sad Buds to make it more inclusive. And then in like November, we were like, ha we should put a festival on in Christmas and call it Merry Sadness. And we looked at each other and went, yeah, all right. <laughs> so then we did it. And now it's slowly grown and taken legs where, because I love helping people so much, yeah. I use Sad Buds now to help people. So we use it to raise money for charity. Um, and we raise money for loads of local charities, which I absolutely adore doing. Like we put on Merry Sadness 2, the saddening encoder in Christmas. We raised a grand. Wow. So I went to the food bank and I, I gave them 250 quid and loads of food. Yeah. And then musicians support the homeless, we gave them about 750 quid. Nice. Like and that, yeah. But I just do it because I just believe we should you should look after your own, look yeah, after those yeah. in your circle, look yeah. after your corner of the world. So I help local artists. Basically, I try and get them to where I am. Not that I consider myself on a pedestal or to be at any certain level, but I just try and give them all the education that I've learned along the way and to avoid any mistakes I've made along the way and basically say, this is how I did this, this is how I did this. That's why I've got a, I've got a nine-page PDF called Fraser Morgan's Unsigned Guide of all clickable links where I just give out to everyone for free who wants it. And I say, this is everything I know about music. <laughs> because as again, I said earlier, Knowledge should be democratised. Everyone should be able to have access yeah, to it. Yeah. So, fantastic. Music's not a competition. It's a community. If you create a community around something, it thrives. Fantastic. Thanks again, Fraser. We'll go for another high five. Yes. Ready? Nice. Fantastic. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's awesome. Fraser Morgan has kindly given us one of his songs to play, and this song is "Mistakes Don't Define You." With my mates, so I don't see why I wouldn't. I'm enjoying myself, so I would just stop her only having a laugh. Then I realise I shouldn't have ordered that drink, I've taken things too far. Fuck! Well, we're laughing and we're blabbering, we're talking a night away. But then I sort of ruin things with silly things I say. Can't help it, I just get excited. I don't see how I'm causing harm, it's not until I wake up in the morning, see the damage that I've done. Like, no, I've done dumb shit. We all done dumb shit. And said things I didn't mean. I didn't. Well, we've all made mistakes. We made our mistakes. So don't point the finger at me. Don't point it. Don't point the finger at me. Well, I'll own all my I 
I love them, but I clearly barely know them. I'm just loving the connection and we're caught up in the moment. I feel bad mistakes made when I'm drunk and excited like a poppy. But I'll get through it, support from friends and friends. But this will love me life. Well, I know I've done dumb shit. Don't let them completely ruin your life and learn to let things go. With all these lessons that you'll learn, you become a better friend. Just make sure that you learn from them and don't repeat again. And I guess he's right in what he says. The guilt don't get me anywhere. Sometimes it makes me have a breakdown. I can't leave my bed. But as I get older and as I get smart, I learn to let things go and give myself a little sunshine and a chance to grow life. AJ. AJ Jones. Yep. AJ Jones. Well, um, if you go back a few years, Ben Howard was organising the gigs at Three Wise Monkeys. In steps AJ Jones. AJ Jones, who also has a studio called Black Cactus, which is out somewhere called Great Bromley. Yep. Which you know it well. I know it well because I've been to the cricket ground to a party once. That's the only reason why I know it well. I thought you've done a couple of interviews. Yeah, I've done interviews there as well, but I've never like played there or anything. No. Yeah, I have done a couple of interviews there. Um, I caught the Wicked Ravens here. The Meths. And the Meths, and also the, um, the, ec- the Ecto Peach. So okay. I have done in various places, darkness, light room, little porter cabin. I'm always trying to get a different angle on it. And we definitely got a different angle this time because you know what happened? You sat in some buckets. Yes, basically. What happened was this. AJ was sorting out a band or something. He came down. Oh, all right. He said, come with me. We'll go around to where it's really quiet. Now, if this had been an ITV like murder mystery, it would, yeah. it would have been perfect. Because what he did was he led me down a dark gap between two buildings. This is in the black of night. Come this way. Come this way, he said. I heard the sheath of steel coming out of the knife pocket. 
No, I didn't. No. He said, come with me. Don't be afraid. It'll be all right. And we went round the back into uh, an empty building that was just like breeze blocks. And it was an old shell of a building that mm. he's obviously using now as another studio. He's building another studio, a live room with a recording part to it. But inside it was just, it was a building site. It's just dust everywhere. You know, those horses where you saw wood. What are they called? Yeah. Benches. Horses. Horses. Where you, yeah, you just have a horse, don't you? You just saw it off the back. <laughs> not an actual, not a live animal horse. But apparently that's what they used to use. They, they, used to, they used to actually use a horse. They'd put a plank on the back and sometimes the tail would fall off. Well, because people traditionally don't like putting into effort into anything, which no, is why we, we, we have electric source now. So what they used to do is they used to put the piece of wood across the two horses. The person would stand there with the saw... Mm. It's static, yeah. And the horses would move backwards and forwards to saw the piece. <laughs> and there was me thinking you were going. That was well played because I thought you were actually telling me a serious story about horses. <laughs> yeah, the horse would move back and forward just slightly. Anyway, went in this room and I thought, right, okay, serial killer heaven. Uh, yeah. But he said we'll sit down here and it was just two little buckets I mean they weren't even like very big buckets and we just sat down but the sound's brilliant because it was so dead the sound it was superb oh so you started putting some insulation in there already well it's just that it was absolutely silent I don't know why I don't think there's any insulation but it was just the the best sound for an interview ever oh Uh, yeah really good so we sat down there and we talked about well his roles basically he had um that's not content with having a studio he's like bloody sandwich shop <laughs> you've got to stop consolidate the business stop opening new businesses <laughs> we've got we have a sort of food uh, theme running through this show quite often we, we talked about subway i think on one of the previous yeah. shows and i would and um you know i'm one of those people who would i would i'd actually kill myself with food because i don't actually know when to stop if it's the, you know like at a wedding or something or you're in somewhere where there's just food yeah. And it's like it's a total free for all. I actually don't know when to stop. I'm like a hamster. Peanuts are the worst ones for me. I will, every time I will eat peanuts till they make me feel sick. And every time I next have a lot them, of peanuts. Every time I next have them, I'm not going to do it this time. And I have a little handful. And then like go back for another handful. And then go back for a handful. And then eventually I'm like, oh. You know what? Eat. It sounds like you say, oh, I'm not going to do that again. And then it just goes to black. And then you wake up on the floor covered in peanuts. Oh, I've done it again. Oh, God, I said I wouldn't do this. I've gone back to the peanuts. Oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I thought oh. a protein-aholic. Yeah. Um, anyway. I'd say it was a cereal peanut eater, but oh, peanuts aren't a cereal. No, they're not. Anyway, so, yes, we sat on the buckets, and um, we spoke about his various um, roles that he does. Three Wise Monkeys and uh, Black Cactus. What was interesting, though, is that what I didn't know was how how he kind of is involved in the development of the local scene. Because one thing that we did point out was that there doesn't seem to be many new bands. He said just over the last year, it seems to have dried up a bit, which is really interesting to know. Same bands are doing mm. the cycle at Three Wise Monkeys, really. Apart from the touring acts, it's the same bands. So he said this year something needs to happen this year to get these bands going yeah you need new blood should we um dive into what is a peculiar interview in a, a basically a building site yes yeah let's do that why not we've I never mean, done it before no let's hear from the man let's hear from AJ the man jones. aj jones in the house i'm at aj's black actor studios hi aj hello 
And we are inside, well, can you describe what we're inside at the moment? Um, it's a shell of a building surrounded by wooden frames, a lot of aquatic fish products, uh, six heavily fire doors and a lot of sawdust. And if you've seen Reservoir Dogs, it's a bit like the main scene, isn't it? It's a kind of outhouse we're yeah. in. But this is all going to be a new studio, is that right? Yeah, so we're building a new studio here um, with one massive live room and then a slightly small live room and a big old control room all on the same floor. Can you give our listeners a sort of overview of your many roles and things that you do? What, give us a sort of summary. Okay. Well, I should have prepared. Um, <laughs> okay, so I suppose I'm involved in many um, local music adventures uh, I suppose I'd start with the studio as we're here I'm a, a producer here at Black Cactus Studios which I also own uh, the studio sort of we have rehearsals we have other producers we have um, lessons and different charities using the, uh, the studio for different organisations too um, we also and I also am the live events manager at Free Wise Monkeys in town. Uh, if you listen to this, you probably know what that is too. Um, a music venue we've recently just invested in, and we put on a lot of grassroots stuff all the way up to bigger and wilder shows. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, also, you, it's not just a rehearsal space here. You record bands as well. You do. That's, that's, that's my one favourite thing to do. Oh, right. Out of all of the things, it's the, it's the best to do. Well, that leads me to my second question, which is the sort of idea of the journey from sort of song conception, someone coming in with, you know, an idea and they want to record through to gigging. Do you sort of get to see the whole journey? Uh, yeah, well, they both lend itself very much. I mean, when I originally started working at Freewise, someone would come and I'd give them some good sound or a good experience with their songs. And I'd go, oh, I've got a studio down the road. And it'd be a sort of place where they could probably do their first single or first bit of recording they've done. And then that sort of evolves from the first. Once you get into two singles, three singles, you start to see, oh, wow, this stuff's actually... They really know what they're doing now after you've got a bit of experience in that. And then you see them doing some more gigs and then you start seeing them to do bigger festivals. And then you do really watch the whole bands evolve, mm. especially I've only been doing this here for three years. And there's countless bands who have just mm. surpassed all expectations. Mm. Fantastic. So it's really nice to be part of that whole process, I suppose. I do. I do. Yeah. I do love it. You're sort of involved in the sort of nurturing, helping along the way, sort of recording, putting on the gigs. Is there any sort of creative side to this? As in, are you ever involved in, I mean, do they ever ask you for help with sort of ideas or is there a sort of creative part to your job? Uh, I don't know why, but yes, I do get asked for help a lot. Um, Go on, tell us about that. Oh, there's always, there's two aspects to recording. I think some, sometimes you, you can very quickly work out if you have a client or a band and they just want you to record what they have or... And that's fine. So you're just a recording and a mix engineer. Mm. You, they give you what they have and you make it sound good. But there's also a big aspect because this day and age, back in the old days, you used to have a mix engineer, a recording engineer, a mastering engineer. But at this sort of level and this sort of scope, it's all sort of mixed into one. So you very quickly know if you say, oh, do you want to try this idea? Or what about if we do that? Mm. And when you get to be more of a producer on a track as well, as well as recording and mixing and mastering, you very quickly see that the bands who want that and if they want to evolve their songs compared to they already like what they have and don't want to. So yes, it, that, that is the creative side of my role. And that's because because I don't play in bands or anything like that anymore. And then we just make, we just work on everyone else's track. That is my creative fix, I suppose now. Yes, I suppose you get that side out of you by yeah. sort of helping them along the way. The stage at Three Wise Monkeys finally been moved around. Did you find anything under there? Any bodies? <laughs> it's not that. It's not what was under there. It's what's under it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you've hidden. Yeah. Well, tell us about the whole moving process. What, what sort of brought that about? 
Um, I mean, it was a big. So obviously Ben Howard was there, my good friend of mine, and he was there, and um, it was hard. It was hard to push. It was just. It felt like two separate venues, and um, I felt like one side it was sort of congregated over one side. You couldn't really immerse yourself in the other side. If it sold out, you couldn't see the stage. Yeah. It was expecting people's experience there, and the sound didn't sound right, and it just needed a little spice up. So I sort of just went to the bosses when I joined and went, look. I've got X amount of time. If I can prove that I can actually get some good gigs in here mm. and we can uh, spice this up here, um, can I invest X amount of money uh, with a little bit of help from the Music Venue Trust who are great? And it sort of went well, we did it, and then we moved it, and now it's like flying. And mm. um, I, can't, I generally can't get everyone in who asks these days. Wow. It's, uh, you don't realise how you only have eight gigs a month on a Friday and Saturday. Yeah. It's, so I get to make like these super mega lineups now. For example, like Friday and Saturday... Yeah. Just um, crazy, like, like every ba every band should be headlining, really. Right. But um, yeah. you can't. It's hard. So you just get these crazy lineups and it's just have to convince them to uh, yeah. all get on. How do you see the sort of culture scene developing over the next few years? Um, are there any bands we should look out for? Anything bubbling up? Mm, so that's that's the thing I have been having a discussion a lot today about with, with a friend of mine who was helping me build this space. Um, uh, there seems to be a slight halt in new bands coming through yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of there's a lot of great talent and there's a lot of great talent going further than anyone has before in Colchester but so but the refreshing of the crop I suppose that uh, we're sort of missing is yeah I haven't seen any like young bands sort of no. squeezing through the colleges you usually or you see them come and rehearse and you think oh they're going to be good in mm. like a year or a month right. and, and uh, it's, yeah it seems to be or like a few bands are sort of like finishing and they're not and the musicians there are not doing anything else after. Um, I think there might be some exposure stuff that needs to happen within this year to yeah. revive, revive the scene. But um, obviously that's something we can do. We can do it at a venue. Um, but I think that should be, that's actually going to be quite a focus on mm. Colchester music scene once our big name, our big hitter names have moved on from playing Colchester. If we don't do it now, then yeah. in a year or two, we're going to not have many bands, right, I don't yeah. think. I'm not saying that all you new bands, by the way. If there is new bands out there and I haven't seen you yet, I'm sure you're yeah. great. Yeah. It's beautiful to sit in here. It'd be great to see it. What? How long have we got until this is all going to be done, do you think? Oh, so this big room, three months, I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, just because my time scale. I'm very, very busy. I, only, I can only give it a day a week. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing, hopefully by the end of the year, it'll be all up and running. And then all those new bands can come and rehearse. Hopefully there'll be some uh, new bands to rehearse, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, AJ, for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. But that's AJ. That's AJ. You also interviewed... AD Johnson. AD Johnson. Well, AD has been on the on and around the Colchester music scene for a long time. He has. Since the early 90s, although apparently he's a Sudbury boy. Oh, really? Who would have thought? From over the border. Over the border. But they let him in. He sort of goes through some of it, but I get the feeling that you need another interview with AD, actually, because there's sort of bits that are missing. It, it would take quite a long time to go through everything. Oh, yeah, he's done quite a lot. Wasn't he in a band with um, The Reverend? He was. was Fuzzface, yeah. Fuzzface, yeah. yes, he was in a band. Um, that was before he was a Reverend, though, actually. Oh, okay. He went away to be a Rev after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it had so some sort of... Effect on him. Yeah. Yeah. After being in a band with AD, he thought, right, that's it, I've got to turn to the cloth. Yes, I think he did. Um, so, yeah, well, interestingly, though, another location. I always think it's interesting to talk about location. Went to the brew house, too loud. Come with me, AD. Where are we going? That's him. Um, just follow me, Curzon. So I thought this would be easy. Just walk up the stairs in the Curzon. It's nice and quiet at the top, apart from a, a beeping noise. And they actually stopped us. 
the woman from behind the bar came out and said, uh, have you got tickets? And we said, no, we're just going up to the bar. The bar wasn't open upstairs, so we had no excuse at all. So I said, um, we'll come, we'll be back down. We'll come back down to the bar. She went, oh, okay, let us upstairs. We just sat upstairs on some really comfy chairs overlooking the, the um, VAF. The what? The VAF, the visual arts facility. Oh, what's the VAF? Well, the VAF? The golden banana. What the, the hell are you talking about? The, you know, the uh, art gallery. First sight. First sight. I always call it the Faf or the Golden Banana. It was known as the Golden Banana. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, um, first sight. Overlooking first sight. Beautiful, nice, calm, nice sort of evening. We just sat there and spoke through pretty much everything he'd done. But I do think there is more there. He gave me a bookmark as well. An A.D. Johnson bookmark. Wow. And I said, the merch is getting more and more sort of disparate, isn't it? It's like, it's not just badges and stickers anymore. It's anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can probably get like a, a, I don't know, an A.D. Johnson sort of like croissant. Nutcracker. Nutcracker. Yeah. Slippers. (laughs) Slippers. Pipe. Pipe and slippers. You can buy the combo. Silk scarf. Apparently, though, smoking jacket. But there's no fire. You can't buy an A.D. Johnson fire. No. No, because it'd be hard to health and safety. Yeah, and also just very hard to brand. Hard to brand flames. You know. Yeah. Brand as a bit of a joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, do get in touch if you've got the joke, Matt. It's a nice little interview. We sat up there and spoke through uh, what, what, what he'd achieved so far. And uh, he sort of joked about it. He said, there'll be lots of gaps. Right. And I think that's because he's quite relaxed. It's quite, and also, <laughs> it's quite quiet. I did have to put the mic really close to him. And I know that people have said, oh, it's, it's just like really weird. It's like you're, I'm going to stab him in the head. At one point, he <laughs> says about, it's like you're going to, uh, what was it? Pull, him up, pull my nasal hairs out. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let's have a listen to him. Yeah, come on, A.D. It's the AJ. This is the problem. I know. Well, the first half of his career, he was BC. <laughs> well done. <laughs> now he's AD. That's good. Yeah, it's not bad. It'll do. It'll do. We'll keep. Well, we pretty won't keep it. In. Hello, AD. Hello, Peter. How are you feeling this Thursday night? I'm all right. You know, I just had a pizza back at home and slogged up the hill and uh, ready for bed now. I think you know. First of all, can you start by giving us a sort of breakdown of your a sort of potted history of your music career? Because obviously you've been, been going for a while. Yeah, a long time. Um, so I guess, you know, um, my career was, a, I was as a furniture restorer. I didn't actually study or play music at school. It was something that I um, kind of a, started as I left, really. I started taking guitar lessons and uh, that kind of thing. Anyway, so I was a furniture restorer with my grandfather for many years. And um, and then after he passed away, I carried on for a while. And um, yeah, ha- having had a lot of classical guitar lessons and played in various rock bands. So I think that probably the f- if anybody would remember them, it's the band called the Ramblin' Souls was the, our first yeah. band that we played back right. in the mid 90s early 90s we're talking and we won the suffolk rock and pop competition and that was based in colchester here that was well we were in sudbury we were sudbury boys uh and the um the competition was uh was in ipswich yeah and that's where i first met steve mann who's got his own little record label we ended up doing a few things with but uh yeah so that was the rambling souls we were kind of like um Blue Cheer, The Stooges, Dead Zeppelin, kind of full-on rock and roll trio type thing. Um, So, yeah, that that sort of 
my early days. Although it was golf bands and stuff prior yeah. to that. <laughs> uh, and then, I, I don't know where, where I go with this. Um, so, uh, yeah, various bands. And then in, when I sort of uh, moved on from the restoration, I went and did a music degree uh, at... At Colchester Institute, and uh, doing classical guitar. That is very close to my nostrils. I think you're going to, you're going to. Yeah, it's because you're very quiet. You see, I have to get I? it quite close to you. Yeah, other people have said it's threatening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to give my nasal hair a, a trim any moment or something. <laughs> I just want to capture everything you're saying, but yeah, I know what you mean. I'll pretend it's not there. Um, so, um, <laughs> so where was I? So yeah, so I did a degree, but I was, as as a, um, a majored in guitar performance so I did two A-levels and then I did a, a three-year degree on classical right. guitar performance and while still doing a bit of restoration mm. on the side and stuff to, to fund to fund my studies and things um, and then that's kind of where I met Matt Simpkins right and first, that's the reverend yeah the reverend, reverend Matt uh, yeah as he is now um, so that's kind of where we met there mm. and um, that sort of uh, blossomed into first face of course mm. And everyone remembers Fuzz Face around here, you see. Well, I guess, yeah, a lot of people do, yeah. Mm. And um, we did well on the local scene, you know. We mm. we tried taking things down to to London. We did a few gigs further afield, but mostly we were sort of Essex-based, you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we did well. I mean, we sold out, this is our claim to fame, really. We sold out the Art Centre for three times, I think. Wow. Well, it was technically two, twice, um, but I think we're a few people short. Is this nights in a row you're talking about? Not, no, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> For culture, <laughs> yeah. That would be very good. Well, I think, you know, when I think about it now, and I think about, you know, people will come to my show, but to sell out, to just, I think we took it for granted at the time. Mm. It's kind of, this is what happens, yeah. you know. How did you end up being so solo and as a duo with Toby Ball? Um, so uh, Matt eventually went off to do his studies at Oriel College in Oxford. And... Um, I was kind of getting a bit tired of it anyway, especially with the volume and the noise of it all. Didn't agree with my ears. No. And um, so we, we were doing more acoustic gigs around that time anyway. And, um, and yeah, so uh, I started playing, writing a few songs of my own. Actually, some of the early songs, uh, Caroline, one of my ones on the first album, mm. we actually recorded as, as a Fuzz Face oh, right. song, funny enough. But, yeah, so... So that uh, so I started doing a few open mics. I thought, well, I'll try writing my own, doing my own yeah. thing. And these were at the ball, right? And um, the ball, yeah, ball <laughs> open mics. And um, so I kind of I cut my teeth. I'd already cut my teeth mm. for many years anyway, and other bands and stuff. But doing something on my own mm. suddenly was all, all suddenly it was kind of like trying out something new. Mm. And, but it's uh, like a sort of recutting of the teeth in, in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it was new a new thing, new direction, and things mm. and. Um, yeah, I was really pleased with the response I got, and it just went off from there, really. Are there any rules to writing a good song, or is it just a question of sort of adding your personality to the criteria that's already been set by our predecessors? Are you really in control of what you're doing? Wow. That, that came... So you give me a nice, easy question, and then you slam me that one. There are certain formulas and things you can apply, but I think you, you kind of know when something's been contrived in that sense. You kind of have to wait. You have to get your muse from somewhere, and there's always that element of magic. It either comes from a little seed that's sown, as you know. You know, it could be a little a melody, or it could be a, a thing on the guitar or piano or whatever, uh, that has has a little magic to it and that once that seed is sown that's kind of then 
Um, you, you, that's when you start bringing the craft to it, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, because it's important the craft, is it? Because it's all very well being inspired. Yeah. But you've got to work with it. Yeah, of course. And I think you know, um, you can apply theoretical knowledge to that if you want to. You know, um, or previous tried and tested things. You know, um, you know, I'll move to the subdominant at this point or whatever. Or, like a sort of computer program. Yeah, but I, and I, I, I tend to be led by my ear, really. Yeah. And, I, and I know a lot of people do it that way. I mean, there's a basic rule for you, I mean, as probably it's for a lot of writers, which is if you're excited by it, that's sort of enough, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. that's the plan. I mean, I think you have to write for yourself first. It sounds selfish, but you have to be excited about it yourself. Mm. Yeah. It's like that... You know, being uh, in an airline, and when, when the gas, the masks come down with the, uh, do you know what I mean? They always say <laughs> you have to put it on yourself first before you tend to your, to your relatives or whatever. And it's a similar yeah. sort of process, right, I think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You That's have an to. interesting analogy. <laughs> I don't know if it's one that works, but, um, but yeah. So no, you got definitely got to feel it mm. in your bones first right. before. Yeah. Well, I think that's you know, and then you hope that. Mm that you can serve your audience yeah. tell us about the runner because that takes you back a few years in your life back to your london days um what sort of set you off writing that now <laughs> what actually releasing it now do you mm, mean well just oh yeah it's the release and the writing a different yeah well that it sort of went on for some time that song because london songs was released is uh in 2018 right now so not that old so it's you know i probably should have you know released something else since then but <laughs> that's the last one 2018 and um it, it it would have been perfect on that obviously because what it does it, it references my yes. uh, times i used to go running in nunhead cemetery and the locations yeah, yeah. exactly it's all all references the various locations yeah. i walked around specifically to kind of um get source material as it were and i read up on Wow. The people that are buried there and yeah, this yeah. kind of thing just to get inspiration mm. from name places to yeah. you know people that are, like I said have been buried there a fascinating place it's one of the great is it 12 I don't know if there's that many is it 6 so the big cemeteries around London um, yeah. got Highgate obviously is the most famous yeah. one um, but yeah it's fascinating um, so yeah I mean uh, so th- what was the question <laughs> <laughs> It's great, and then when you sort of get into your own world, what it was was really was this idea that the runner has come now. You know, you're in Colchester, and yet it's about London. I just wondered why why it happened now. Well, I think it never quite made the cut at the time. Right, I wasn't quite ready, and it sort of simmered and sat sat there for a while. I can see. And um, yeah, it took a while to to hone really. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you'll pick I'll pick up a a song idea from something that happened years years ago, and and splice two together. The approach to it was really quite stark. Yeah, yeah. So with this, the approach with this one. So the first album I did, Tell the Worry Dolls, was recorded at um, what was then um, Long Track Studios. It's now Rebellion Studios um, with Nathan Wace, he's a producer. And um, <clears throat> so having done London songs, which are more, much more produced. Uh, with Jerry Diver brought his talents to that. Um, it was done to a click track a lot of it, and it was very much, um, yeah, quite um, rigid in, in, in that respect anyway. Right. Um, I wanted to go back to something much more natural and almost do some, like, do a live performance really thing. Really hear it on that. Yeah, well, I, ho- I hope... The, the, I've kind of made a rod for me back. Well, what happened was, whilst I was in London, um, I did a pledge campaign for that, for, the, for London songs, and... Um, 
uh, one of the pledges was to uh, for uh, for p- people could uh, request a cover or a song, um, and then they would pay the fee, you know, and so, uh, of, of their own choosing, sort yeah. of thing. And um, I did this song. It was called. That will come back to me in a minute. It was an old blues number. And anyway, I went in and cut it at a friend's studio in the same fashion, using my old classical guitar and vocals. And we were just sound checking. And I went in. I did a take. And we both sort of looked at each other. And it's like, I think you got it. <laughs> you know, it was a, it was literally one take. That's a bit worrying, isn't it, when it's first time? Well, yeah. And I thought, well, you think you kind of know. You kind of yeah. think. Well, I, mm, you, try, yeah. you try and try and pick holes in it. Mm. Whack, would have done that bit maybe a bit better, but doesn't actually, that was often no, it doesn't. One take. So I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I can record an album in a weekend. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you know, four years later, um, <laughs> um, the song was was fairly straightforward, mm. and uh, I tend to overcomplicate things probably, and that's why it's taken a lot longer. But yeah. well, and things like COVID and other things. So yeah, so that was. The, that's what gave me the initial impetus for doing it that way again. Right. And also, I've always like recording that way. Um, you know, next time I do another, the next project will perhaps be something completely different, and I'll go back to, I don't know, I might it's use synths or something. But it's got that beautiful untreated feel, which is you can almost feel the fingers, like your right hand fingers, almost brushing the strings. It's so intimate. Yeah, yeah like and that's that's kind of what we wanted to, to keep in there. And there's no click or anything like that. Yeah. So that it's just a very, it's got a natural sort of ebb and flow to it. But you have to be extremely well rehearsed and yeah. and uh, and on it, you know, to do it that way. And there is a little bit of multi-tracking on it. So, so essentially you've got that as a core thing. Yeah. Um, and... Um, track and then Toby put his uh, flugelhorn on it mm. which actually is not Toby's but we borrowed that uh, from the somebody beautiful last note on that you know you, oh, yeah, when Toby yeah, descends yeah. at the end yeah, you're sort yeah. of thinking what and then it ends on like a sixth or a second or something yeah, yeah it's that's quite, it it's quite an unusual thing yeah. by the end of 2023 here we are yeah. April uh, where will we be Lady Johnson where are we going to have a, a new record out Will something have happened that we will remember this year? Uh, Mercury Prize nominations. Uh, yes, get them in now. Glastonbury yeah. Headline. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be out in some capacity, in some form. Is this an album we're talking about or an EP? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping, I mean, like I said, I've already got seven tracks together. And, um, On so Spotify, I'm, that's an album, you see. Well, this is it, yeah. So, I'm, uh, to be honest, the way things are going with the last couple of days, with the right finishing off these last few tracks, it's like pulling teeth. But um, maybe, maybe it will be a smaller thing. But I'm, I'm sort of aiming for the Magic 10. And I'm hoping that... Um, but Nathan is actually is, he's we're going to have to wrap up in a couple of months anyway right. so I'm, I'm on a deadline to get it done right. so it's going to have to happen I've got a few labels that uh, I want to sorry nothing like a deadline to get stuff done is there well, exactly exactly <laughs> yeah well hopefully there will, I will have had a, it will be have, it will be released right. in some capacity and yeah. I'll be doing a tour in the autumn that is the plan superb I was, I was in touch with Scott the other day Scott Matthews again and um, we're going to uh, looks like we're going to do um, a video together because ah. um, I'm on the tours I've been joining him uh, on one of his songs yes. called Silence and we're just going to do it kind of um, remotely so it'll be a split screen kind of video type thing oh, yeah. and he's, he's building up his kind of YouTube uh, channel and he's looking to do a series of them I think so um, so yeah so that should be fun 
a gut little few things. Um, Brev Simpkins has got uh, is going to be doing his thing, isn't he? Um, so I'll be joining him on stage for a song. Yes. In June or July, I think it is. Yeah. So there's a few little bits and pieces in the yeah. pan. And lots of gigs coming up. Although by the time this goes live, yeah. most of them are gone. <laughs> we always get this. People start listing things like, well, well, look, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, and well, thanks for having me. And, uh, and you've got your bookmark, your A.D. Johnson bookmark. Yes, thank you for my A.D. Johnson bookmark. He's not had a release for a couple of years. And this, The Runner, it's a beautiful song, uh, a memory about his time when he was jogging in London. And he actually went back and researched it. He actually went back to that place just to get together the words that he needed to make the song. I mean, it's a proper artist like that. You know, it's not just, well, I'll write about me running, right? So what I did, I ran down the street and stuff. He actually went and found the names of everything, uh, the graveyards yeah. and things, and the names of the buildings. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. song. Well, let's have a listen to it now. The Runner. Keeps 
But she never, oh she never looks back And the runner keeps on running through the open gates And she never, oh she never go from here then well, let's have a shout out to a few people who love the show <laughs> a few <laughs> we see people so yes yeah, so, so um so we've got matt yeah burrows he listens or oh, he says he does i think, I think it's sort of a bit bullshit yeah. but and then you've got leslie now leslie works at hmv in colchester she puts on live events every saturday with local musicians um we've had lots of different ones there including wilsford boys actually played re- very recently um so i went in there and i said i knew who she was of course because on facebook you see people's faces that's why it's called facebook facebook and i said hi leslie is peter from litter kings and friends and she said she turned to me and she said i recognize your voice <laughs> <laughs> I've become blank. Yes. I'm just I'm just a cardboard cut out now. But she recognised my voice from the podcast. So she listens. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah, she listens. Yeah. Matt used to be in a, uh, another band. Did you hear about that? No. Uh, Matthew's Climbing Frame. Really? Yeah, and so they're on Spotify as well. Oh, that really? was his original 90s band, you know, where they recorded things onto tapes. They've actually reformed. He could come and we could talk to us about Matthew's Climbing Frame. I don't see why not. Yeah. I think what might happen though, it might just descend into a giggle fest because he's quite giggly. Oh, uh, really? Oh, so yeah, if we go on the show, he might giggle him. Maybe I we should like, interview him for the show. Interview him for the show, but yeah. really seriously. But really seriously. Yeah, sort of see if we up. can. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about that. No, sorry. <laughs> Not Matt. I was thinking of something else. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, Peter. <laughs> Yeah, Matt. Stop putting yeah. words into my mouth. Yeah, Matt. Anyway. Anyway. Who else? Well, that's our two viewers. We've covered pretty much a couple of <laughs> Staring. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that covers that. It does cover that. This week, there was a satellite, wasn't there, landing, possibly today, actually. It was a satellite was actually coming back to Earth. And they said it was unlikely. There was, <laughs> it was an amazing statistic. They said very unlikely it would hit anyone. It was a 1 in 2,700 chance. I thought, that doesn't sound that low. No. <laughs> I mean, you've got more chance of getting hit by that satellite than winning the lottery. Wouldn't it be perfect, though, now if it hit us live while we we're doing this? <laughs> Well, Talk about perfect ending. Perfect timing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but it's apparently it's supposed to land somewhere. But all that space junk's got to be dealt with at some point. It has. It? Yeah. But, well, here we are. I mean, this is the end of... We're coming to the end of um, the episode 10 season. of season two. We've only got two shows after this to the end of the show. I know. Who the knows what's going to happen? Because then we have to have a new colour or picture or something. Yeah, colour. that's right. And we've already got rid of the uh, spoken word for the first time. Who are we, we going to get rid of in the next season yes, three? Yes, the cull. Maybe, maybe we'll just run. Maybe, maybe Matt won't make it. Yeah, Matt won't make it. Something's got to give. <laughs> Something's got to give. Children. Yes. Yeah. Mothers. Yeah. Yeah. Babies. Yeah. Daughters. Parents, uncles. Yeah. 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 Grandfathers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
friends of the family. Yeah. Second cousins. Yeah. Yeah. First cousins. Yeah. Um, passed on relatives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is the time of the show where we have to say it's a, enough is enough. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye to all of you. Yeah. Well done if you've made it this far, by yeah. the way, because yeah. that's that's pretty good. That's twenty-two episodes we've managed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's very little between egg mayonnaise and sort of creamy cheese. When you look at it, you wouldn't know. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's been yeah. Uh, creamy cheese infiltrators going on for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Leaving sandwiches at corporate buffets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll never know, Bernard. <laughs> Run away. We'll get them. This will show them. We'll the show them. We'll show the hoi polo. <laughs> Change up their sandwiches. Yeah. Think they know the difference between sandwiches? We'll show them. They won't know this one. Idiots. Bringing down the country one buffet at a time. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. All right. Good okay. night. Good night. See ya. God bless ya. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you tasty little tart. <laughs> uh, uh, is this still recording? Yeah, well, look, this is creeping in here. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Literary kings and friends talking bullshit again.